Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. For 46 plus years, I've been privileged to pastor, to shepherd flocks, to share in lives, and to be encouraged by God's people. Five ministries that I've personally been a part of have just been a real blessing. Gracious, generous, godly, good people who have accepted my family as their family and who have welcomed us into wonderful families. Now, it is true that every once in a while you run across some knucklehead I have a pastor friend who calls it buzzard bait. But God, in a very special way, has privileged me to be involved with communities of believers that were connected to each other and that cared for each other. And I am so, so thankful for that. I've been allowed to have some fun in ministry. And that I enjoy. And it's been wonderful just to Recognize that we're all just trying to live life. We're all just trying to glorify God and get through the struggles and the pressures and, and everything that's going on. Stories told about a pastor who was known for his lengthy sermons. And he noticed that during the service, a gentleman got up and left the service. Before the service concluded, he came back. As the pastor was greeting the people, he said, is there anything I can help you with? I saw that you left the service. And the guy said, I want to get a haircut. And the pastor said, well, why didn't you get a haircut before the service? And the guy said, I didn't need one. I know, preacher joke, right? <laughs> but it's great just to live life. And it's great to be part of people's lives and to be encouraged by God's people. Here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is reminding Timothy that family needs to take care of family. We looked at that last week. And he is then identifying the responsibilities that a local church family has to their pastor. Now, as we have studied 1 Timothy... Paul has identified various responsibilities and positions within leadership of the church. In verse 1, he talks about being an apostle. An apostle was one who saw Jesus Christ and who was a leader throughout that transition period and gave testimony of a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, we studied bishops. For we discover the criteria that God has given to bishops who serve within overseers who serve the body of Christ. Deacons are also identified in chapter 3 with a, with a criteria that is so necessary as, as men provide leadership within the flock of God. Now here in our text, Paul is going to identify elders. And we're going to see that elders are combined with, with pastors and, and bishops in the responsibility of taking care of the church of 
Jesus Christ. I'd like to read the text, and then we're going to talk a little bit about those three functions within the role of, of pastor. Then we're looking at responsibilities, and then we are going to see some personal information that Paul gives to young Timothy. Are you in 1 Timothy chapter 5? You follow along in your copy of the scriptures as I begin with verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, that's the elders, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you, Timothy, to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Paul begins, Timothy, let the elders. Now let's talk a little bit about this because I think it's important for us to to understand this role. As you think about the elders, we think about three different functions within that responsibility. First function is that of pastor. And for you Greek students, there it is. And the pastor's responsibility is more of a function than a title, although many times we use it as a title, right? The function is to shepherd the church of Jesus Christ, to feed the sheep, to minister to the sheep, to care for the sheep. And that's the responsibility that pastors have within the body of Christ. The second is that of bishop or overseer, episcopeo. You you might maybe going to a particular denomination that might be called Episcopao. And they focus on leadership, on administration. And that certainly is the responsibility to pull things together and to make sure that it's all working and that it's blending the gifts and abilities of the body to make a difference for the honor and glory of God. The third is that of elder, presbuteros. Perhaps that too rings a bell in your mind. And presbuteros has the idea of being someone who's mature, somebody who is disciplined, somebody who in a very special way can live a life that works as an example before the flock of Jesus Christ. Somebody that has the character necessary to make a difference within in the flock. Now, there are two passages of Scripture that use these three terms, and I want to take you to them very, very quickly. The first is found in Acts chapter 20. Luke, in the book of Acts, is giving to us the history of the early church. And in Acts chapter 20, he recounts the time when when Paul went to Ephesus 
to appoint elders. And he writes this. Paul called the elders of the church and says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, bishops, to care for or to pastor shepherd the church of Jesus Christ. You see those terms there as identities within the function of leadership over the flock of God. Luke records, Paul went and appointed these folks to provide for the church of Jesus Christ. The other passage is found in 1 Peter chapter 5. And I again have it up here on the screen for you so that you can see it. There we read, So I exhort the elders, the elders among you as a fellow elder, this is Peter, and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, that is, pastor, the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, bring it all together, blend the gifts and abilities, make people a success in the ministry. Why? Not under compulsion, but willingly. We mentioned earlier of God's call upon Preston and Pastor John and myself. We willingly receive God's call. It's not something that our arms were twisted. It's not something that we were forced into. It's not something that we do because we couldn't do anything else. It's the call of God on our lives that makes a difference. Preston has given testimony that God has called him to minister to students. I'm thankful for that. Because it is that call that is going to keep him focused in what God wants him to do. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have, not for shameful gain, but it, you, you know, you can't get rich in ministry. You're aware of that, aren't you? I'm so thankful that people have taken well care of me. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we get into the text. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Pastor John did a, a great job this morning in blending the songs together because, you know, life is uncertain. And I don't think after Tuesday we're going to have a lot of certainty about who our next president's going to be. I think it's going to take longer than that. It may not, but I, I'm not real confident in everything being tabulated by the end of Tuesday. But even when I'm uncertain, I want to be an example. Even when I struggle, and I do, I want to be an example. Even when I'm trying to understand what God is doing in my life, I want to be an example. In fact, wasn't that what, what Paul told Timothy? Be an example to the believers in word, in love, in conduct, in faith, in purity. Be an example. And I am thankful for that. So, we see this blend of responsibilities that God has given to leadership within the body of Christ. And you need to be aware of that. Because this blend is necessary because it's been a blend that is designed by God for God's people. God wrote this job description. 
and it's important for us to be willing to follow it. Now, to our text, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Are you there? Paul gives three responsibilities that a local assembly of believers has to those who serve, those who lead, those whom God has called to be effective. Verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. The first responsibility that a body of believers has is to honor their pastor. I am so thankful that those who I have served have taken this very seriously. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read this. Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem you very highly because of the love of the work of God. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 13, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Obey your leaders and submit to them For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You know, I will have to give an account one day before God of how I pastored. Let me tell you something. That weighs very heavily on my heart, on my mind. One day I am going to have to give an account of how well I handled the word of God of what kind of an example I was, how I ministered to the church of God. Now, Paul here gives a couple of areas that deserve honor. He first of all says, elders who rule well, elders who get the job done, who stay after it, who are consistent in the ministry. Elders who recognize the calling from God and understand their accountability is to God. Elders who do a good job in fulfilling God's call on their life. And then it says, honor those especially who labor in preaching and teaching. The word labor there has the idea of beyond exhaustion. Preaching is not an easy thing to do. Teaching the word of God is not an easy thing to do because of the preciousness of the truth that this book contains. And Paul says, church, honor those who are faithful. Honor those who do a good job. Honor those who exert themselves in teaching and preaching the word of God. Honor those who faithfully serve with you. Now, I need to tell you, this is not easy for me to preach because I have a dog in this fight, right? But it's not who I am, it's what God says. And then he says, don't muzzle the ox. 
If you were here yesterday, I was dressed up as a turkey. Oh, I had a wonderful time. But one thing I learned is that most people love turkeys. In this culture, it was the ox who ground the grain, and the ox was privileged to to be able to eat their way through that process. Now, I've had that privilege, too, especially after trunk or treat yesterday. But the Scripture says double honor. And the labor is worth their hire, and I am so thankful that you folks take good care of your pastors. Perhaps you heard the prayer of the deacon who at the annual business meeting when they were approving the annual budget said, Lord, we thank you for our pastor. You please, Lord, keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. (laughs) Responsibility of a church is to honor their pastor. The responsibility of the church is to help him against unjust accusations. Verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now this is not a rumor. This is not a perception. This is not an opinion. It's not an impression. You know, pastors are targets of a lot of different things. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not. And what can seem to be an offense may well be the Holy Spirit of God working in somebody's life. Because you know the gospel is an offense to those that believe not. The fact that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He's buried and rose again according to the scriptures. And the only way to have eternal life is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's an offense to a lot of people. But an unfounded, unjust accusation debilitates the pastor for ministry. And not only Does it debilitate him? It depresses him and defeats him and does not allow him to do the work that God has called him to do. And it can be silly things. How many of you remember Sunday night services? All right, number of you. We used to have those, right? I remember one Sunday night I left the house and and went to church and forgot my Sunday night tie. I called Connie and wanted her to bring me a tie and she'd already left. So the first thing I did is, is I stood up and I apologized for the congregation for not wearing a tie. I had somebody call me a liar. They were convinced that I was trying to make a casual fashion statement. Now I would call that person either a knucklehead or buzzard bait. 
it's so easy. Now, it doesn't mean that the pastor's perfect. Not by any stretch. But what Paul says is don't believe an accusation that is simply based on one person's opinion or observation. Ministry's too important. And you can destroy ministers and ministries if you're not careful. And so part of the responsibility of, of a church congregation is to help against unjust accusations. When you hear something, I wonder what your first response is. Oh, that might just be true. Or is it, nah, that's not true. That's not the way that person is. There must be something going on. Or some kind of misunderstanding. Now, relationships are critical, folks. And you've heard me say time and time and time again, it's always your turn. If you have ought against somebody, if you had ought against me, your responsibility is to come to me and let's get it handled. If you think I have ought against you, you're supposed to come to me and get it handled because relationships are too critical. And it is vital that within the family of God, we understand what these relationships are as we help each other grow in Christ and in the wonder of who he is. And so as we think about this, we need to make sure it's a legitimate accusation and that it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Never let a rumor or innuendo or perception or opinion destroy ministry. It's too important. John MacArthur has written, false accusation is Satan's most dangerous weapon. It is a sacred trust to be in ministry. It rests upon a man's integrity, credibility, and the consistent purity of his life. If he can be successfully attacked at that point and discredited, his ministry will be destroyed. It is imperative that his people be able to distinguish gossip and lies from reality. Can I get an amen? Folks, it happens. It happens. The third responsibility of a church is that they hold the pastor to a high standard. This is, this is critical, folks. We have the criteria in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And those are non-negotiable characteristics that must be found in the life of a man who serves the flock of God. And it's your responsibility to help me because I too have blind spots. Do you? And I need you to invest in my life. I've asked our men to hold me accountable. Help me to grow. Help me to recognize the, the responsibility of the call of God on my life. Don't let me slide. You may not know this. 
But every month I give to each of our deacons a card. On that card, I'm holding them accountable. Because I asked them to contact three individuals from their care list. And I asked them if they have prayed with their prayer partner, because I believe in prayer, and it's good to be responsible with each other. I asked them if they have prayed with their prayer partner during the previous month. There's a box to check. On the other side of that card, I asked them to evaluate one of my messages. How, how would you like 12 guys evaluating your messages? I need it. I need it to make sure that I stay on point. I need it so that I make sure that I stay true to the scriptures. I need it to make sure that I am applying the word of God in a way that makes sense. And I'm not violating the text. Now, I will tell you that in that evaluation, one of the questions that I ask our men is, how did God use this in your life? Because this is not just an academic exercise. You are not here today just so that you can learn something more about the Bible. We are here today so that God can take his truth and use his spirit to apply it to our lives so that we can be challenged and changed and conformed to Christ. That's why we're here. This is not just a learning opportunity. This is a time in which we grow together in Christ. And I want you to, to notice the text. Verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Can you imagine that? You know what public rebuke does? I know about you, but it scares the bejeebers out of me. And I don't even know what bejeebers are. And the text says at the end of verse 20, so that the rest may stand in fear. Boy, if that happened to him, I don't want that happening to me. I need to be held accountable, as we all need to be held accountable. Because this is what God is doing in our lives to perfect us into Christ-like disciples for the honor and glory of our God. A month or so ago, Connie and I were down in Williamsburg, Virginia. Great place. If you've not visited there, you ought to go. Early history of our country. And one of the things we saw in Williamsburg was the stocks. You know, the. Why did they do that? For public humiliation and those who had violated community standard. That's what he's talking about here. Now, if you've got ought against a brother, go to him. If your brother's got ought against, you go to him. It's always your turn. And don't wait, because it doesn't get any better with time. But one of the responsibilities of the church is to hold the pastor to a high standard. 
Why? Because he is not only to shepherd the flock, he's to be an example to the flock. And it's necessary. It's so necessary. Paul now writes to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, there are some things that you need to heed in your life. Timothy, you're a pastor at Ephesus. You've been called by God. You're shepherding the flock. You're helping people be successful as you administrate the ministries. They look at your character and leadership, and that's a good thing, Timothy. But Timothy, you you need to take heed to yourself about a couple of things. Number one, Timothy, if you're going to get help in ministry, you need to take heed in identifying those who will be part of the work of God. Notice with me in the text. Verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, the first part is, Timothy, I know it's hard and I know you want a lot of help, but be careful about who you call to help and to serve the church of Jesus Christ. We identified Preston this morning. Over seven years ago, we called Pastor John. You know, there was a lot of vetting that went on. This wasn't just some warm bodies that are nice guys. Because each of them identified God's call on their life. And we blended that into the ministry here at Calvary Baptist Church and are so thankful for what God has done in and through them. Amen? Don't be hasty. Don't be just looking for somebody to fill a slot. Don't don't look for somebody who has short-term excitement because this is long-haul ministry. Timothy, take heed. Don't be hasty. And Timothy, take heed for yourself. It's critical, Timothy. The end of verse 22 I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. If you've flown commercially, before you ever leave the ground, the cabin attendants come on and give you instructions, right? And what's the instruction they have? This little thing falls down and put down, the cockpit loses air pressure. Put this on, right? And what do they tell you? They tell you to put it on before you try to help anybody else. Because if you go unconscious, you're not going to be able to help anybody else be conscious. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Timothy, if you go unconscious, you can't help anybody else. If you're failing with life, you can't help anybody else. Timothy... Recognize the responsibility that you have. And recognize that spiritually, you need to keep yourself growing in the wonder of God. You know, the ministry is a great place to backslide. It is, because we study the Bible, and it's just part of everyday stuff that we do. 
And it's real easy to make it just an academic exercise without making practical application. And sometimes we think, well, I'm studying for a message, that's all I need. No, I need personal food for my body and spirit and soul. And if I'm not doing my personal devotions, if I'm not growing, then I'm not able to give. Timothy, take heed spiritually because it's a real easy place not to get it right. And Timothy, take, take heed physically. And Paul says here, don't drink just water, but you've got some ailments, Timothy. You may need to take a little wine for your stomach's sake for your ailments. Now, may I remind you that in this culture, everything that was liquid flowed into the ground and made its way into the drinking water of, of a city, and it wasn't all pretty. I believe that Timothy practiced total abstinence, and to me that's the best way to go. If you don't believe that, read Proverbs chapter 23, and it'll tell you what drunkenness will do to an individual. Stay away from it. It's not good. But Paul said, Timothy, take care of yourself physically. Because if you're down physically, you'll get down mentally and you may well get down spiritually. In my younger years, I used to go for a run at noon. I'll tell you, that was one of the best things for the church. It got my endorphins going. It got my mind clear. It got me concentrating and thinking on the things that God was doing in my life. It was great. Timothy, take care of yourself physically. And then he says, the sins of some people will come out very quickly. And if they don't come out quickly, they'll come out later. And the good, word, good deeds of some people will come out quickly, and if not, they'll come out later. So Timothy, be observant as to what's going on. Recognize that in your life. There are two things that encourage my heart. Number one, it's somebody says, Pastor, I'm praying for you. You don't know how that encourages me. And the other one is, Pastor, I love you. Let me very quickly give you four ways that you can pray for me. Okay? Number one, pray that I will please God and not men. It is God's call on my life. And he is the one that I need to focus on no matter what else is going on in my life. This May, Connie and I will celebrate 40. Stop it, Carol. I'd look at the inside of my ring and I'd pull it all together. We'll celebrate 48 years of marriage. You know, when we got married, things changed. Yeah, some of you are going, yeah, yeah. Had no clue, right? 
the way I lived my life, the way I ministered to my wife, the things that I thought, the things that I said, well, maybe not things I thought. They're getting better. Things changed. Changed, changed. And it was changed for a lifetime. I can also tell you that when God put his call upon my life, things changed. Changed, changed. Things changed for a lifetime. This wasn't something that I could do or not do. I, had, I really didn't have a choice. And it's really easy to want to get attaboys. And you can pray that I would please God, not men. Would you also pray for me that I would remember my call? <laughs> Sometimes that's the only thing that gets me through Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. And if it weren't for the call of God, I'd have quit a long time ago. I really would have. But it's God's call that has made the difference in my life. Would you pray, please, that I would focus on advancing the church of Jesus Christ in his kingdom and not myself? On Sundays, I do a monologue up here, right? <laughs> but I want you to know it's not about me, it's about him. It's not about what I say, it's about his truth. It's not about whether or not I keep your attention or don't keep your attention. I shared with a couple of people this morning our rule for sleeping in church. You know what it is, don't you? The rule is this, when I start to preach, you need to be awake. If I put you to sleep, you deserve the nap. But it's not about that, right? It's about God working in our hearts and in our lives. And it's about God making us what we want, what he wants us to be. It's about God's truth. Nothing about me. I really am an introvert, introvert at heart. I really am. I could live in the woods by myself. <laughs> Don't drag me into your world, you know. <laughs> I like my world. Pray, would you? And pray that I would yield to the Spirit of God. John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him. Same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And that's absolutely true. Without the Spirit of God's work in my life, I can do nothing, and there will be nothing of eternal value that lasts. By the way, uh, you know that whether you're a Michigan fan or Michigan State fan from yesterday, no matter who won that game, nothing of eternal value was settled yesterday on the football field. You understand that, don't you? And there is nothing of eternal value that works in our lives except the Spirit of God and the Word of God does the work of God in our hearts. So, pray for me, will you?